Welcome to the Growth Pulse podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of business-to-business sales. We talk to some of the world's leading salespeople, sales leaders, experts in sales technology, and thought leaders in today's best sales skills and techniques. In this episode, we're talking to Chris Thomas. Chris is one of the world's leading experts in virtual reality, and in particular, its application to the work and training space. Chris started his career in sales, working for consumer brands such as Audi, Harvey Norman, and Telstra. He then joined the SAS powerhouse Salesforce, where he held numerous roles across Australia, the UK, and New Zealand. This led him to a career in the VR space, where Chris has been at the forefront of reimagining how organizations use technologies such as VR, conversational UI, and natural language processing to take learning and enablement to the next level. From the Growth Pulse team, please welcome your hosts, Daniel Bartels and Simon. Hey, Simon, how are you, Mace? Oh, very well, thanks, Dan. How are you? I am good. Good. Happy Friday. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a busy week. It has. Yeah, I'm really excited about today's uh, conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I Uh, think um, um, VR XR. Yeah, I think the you know what what's happening in the sort of the AI space and VR. I I think it's actually on the precipice of changing kind of how people go about learning and thinking about their roles. And, and I have no idea about this space at all. Yeah. Um, it is so foreign yeah. to how I grew up and how I learned. But th- this is what, you know, I look at my daughter who's, a, who's just turned 11 in, in year six and, and how they're going to experience learning in the next kind of 20, 30 years is going to be completely different to what, what we've done. Absolutely. I, you know, I guess my fear of it is um, people will be, closed in their virtual reality cocoons. I wonder how that's going to play out in terms of people relating to each other in uh, the yeah. real world. In the real world, uh, yeah, maybe. You know, we'll we'll find be, out, won't we? It'll be very different. So anyway, well, let, let's, bring, let's bring Chris in and, uh, and have, that, just have that discussion. So Chris, look, welcome to the podcast, mate. Uh, it's great, great to talk to you again. You know, you and I worked together for a long time it's, and, and it's good to, good to be together in this format. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for, thank you for having me. So, mate, look, uh, we, we start. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, welcome. We, we start off sort of most of these podcasts getting a bit of understanding of kind of your journey and, and how you got to where you are today, mate. And, and as per the intro, you know, you've done a bunch of different things. Um, you know, what, what was your journey on sort of getting into sales and, and working through and particularly like a stellar career at Salesforce? Um, you know, what are, what are the things that you kind of sort of highlight out of that journey and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, I think, and I, like a lot of people, a lot of salespeople can, can relate to this as, as well, right? Like if, if you, if you choose a, a career in sales, it's a, it's a bumpy road. Like you, you, you've got to learn, um, to learn the, val- the valuable lessons of the, of the hard lessons. And, um, I, um, I, I think I, I realized I had a knack for it, like at a, at a relatively early, early stage as a, as a, um, like, a, like just working in, in Harvey Norman selling computers, uh, which is a lot harder than you think. Uh, but but then from there, sort of realizing potential um, and just understanding that the world has a lot more for me and people like me, um, it just it just sort of I sort of naturally was just drawn to like more more and more of the things I liked. Um, and it's it's yeah, and, and I feel like it, you, you're always learning as well, like. Like I feel like I've learned just as much uh, in the last couple of years as I have sort of in the last twenty years um, separately as well. So yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Mate, you and I started in a very in a very similar scenario. You know, I started my sales career in uh, in mobile phone sales of all things. What do, what do you think's the biggest difference between? Kind of that retail sales engagement and working in B two B sales because I, I'm, my personal opinion, I think there's lots of similarities. Yeah. Um, what, what's your experience? I think it's like it's there's at the end of the day you're just dealing with people, and it was I, I feel like when I got into B two B sales, like the, the hurdle I had to to um, overcome personally was was especially working for a, for a large organization, there's a lot of sort of systems and there's a lot of the right, the right ways to do it. But at the yeah. end of the day, you've just got to show up and be yourself and people appreciate that. And that's what sort of generates the the, the, the next conversation or, or whatever. And then you line that up with all right, the, the, 
the um, the consistency and the the, 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 the high level detail and, and and sort of stuff that makes you a professional. But at the end of the day, it's just been a just been a good sort and, and showing up with a smile on your face and, and just being yourself. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and I think earlier in, in your uh, intro, Chris, you said uh, your early days, you know, you're selling computers in uh, Harvey Norman harder than you would think. I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, but you said something interesting there that I picked up on. You said uh, as you started your sales career, people liked you. Um, that's always lovely to hear. Why is that important uh, for you in, in building a sales career? People, people like me. Is that what you said I said? Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I just cut out a little yep. bit there. No. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it just, it just comes down to, to human nature at, at the end of the day and, and people like it. You know, people buy people and, um, if people like sort of what you represent and, and just who you are as a person, you, you, that, that's really like the sort of, that, that's the fundamentals of what will take the conversation to the next stage, right? Like if, if you don't have, you don't have yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But learns a lot um, in my career. Especially so building trust. But building trust is a is a big thing. Yeah, building trust is a is a, is a big thing. So, so what do you think is the, as you've kind of worked through, and again, I know in your career at Salesforce, Chris, you know, you, uh, you worked through a number of really different roles. Uh, you know, you, you and I both started in, uh, in Radiant, Radiant 6 way back in the day. Um, you know, call, call out, call out to, uh, to our friends, uh, the Woods who we own that, own that organization locally. Um, but, uh, you know, you kind of started in the, in the BDR space and then you worked your way through in the partner space and, and then obviously ended up as a, as an account exec doing a bunch of bit, different things. You know, what, what, what do you think are the real differences between those key roles? Like if you think about, you know, the, the partner and, and even when you were looking at the agency space as well, like what do you think's the key differences in engaging, um, you know, one on one to a customer versus sort of one to many at the agency space. Like, how how did you approach it differently? Um, I, I got to say, from the time that I started Salesforce, so so for a for a for a Kiwi out of um, the middle of nowhere um, in, the, in the middle of New Zealand to to sort of come to Sydney and and get a, a job with Salesforce in, in 2012 without realizing sort of what that company would become. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's just like the, the chances that that happening are, are very slim. So I've got to say I'm very grateful for, for that experience because it sort of opened my eyes, um, to, you know, to, to the likes of working with you, Dan, where, um, and, and a whole other bunch of, um, you know, friends and colleagues throughout that time period. Like you, you, it, it sort of comes back to realizing potential again. And, and, um, mm. and when you're, when you're exposed to that level of, innovation like like I didn't even know really what an acquisition was before I started Salesforce and then <laughs> like next thing you know you've got like the exact target blah 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 yeah like it, it's it, it like just just like opening your your sort of mind and, and your world to, to that sort of experience in Sydney and, and London I found mm. it hugely tremendous so just just before I answer your question like if, if I could give any advice to like young Kiwis, young Aussies, you know, put, put yourself in a position where you are exposed to like just, just awesome experiences and, and in a, in a, in a way that you sort of see how the rest of the world works because um, that was hugely valuable to me. But, um, e, e, it was, it was an EBR back then. We used to call it EBR. It was years. an EBR. You're right. It was yeah. an EBR. EBR. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that was, um, cause I was, I, was, well, I, I don't know. I think I started just a, like maybe a, a few weeks before you, but on my first day, I was packing it, mate. Like I was, <laughs> it, was it was, it was, ner- it was nerve wracking, right? And, um, yeah. and then after a while, like I'm, I'm really thankful for the woods and their guidance and, and, and the rest of that team because, you know, I, you know, that, that, that type of cohesiveness and, and support and, and, and sort of shared values, um, are really sort of what propelled me. Into, into my professional career and, yeah. um, like EBR, like that was all about contacting people at scale. Like even today, like I, I don't want to brag, but when I, I send out a, a cold email, I am like, I'm, I'm the man, like I'm pretty good. 
and um, and, and Mate, also got, the game. I, got, I remember you were you were you went from uh, from not really having a good understanding of what to say to being the master. Absolutely. Yeah, and and then um, partnerships was like um, that, that that was really cool as well because you you don't although it's not like your traditional sales sort of carry the bag type role. Yeah. Um, you do get a lot of exposure to founders. Your, mm. All your relationships are yeah. like people that run sort of multi-million dollar companies and you build sort of bonds and relationships with these people. And these people give you advice and, um, and sort of insight into the world that, that you, you know, it is really hard to get. So like there was, there was value in that, um, partnerships in itself, like business planning, like the, the value of like understanding joint goals is valuable for, for anything. I even use it with my missus. Like, we, like having that, that sort of joint uh, <laughs> yeah. approach is, is really, really important. I, yep. I hope that answered your question. I, I know that was a bit of a rant. Nah, it's, look, it's, 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 I think it's an important piece. I, I think, you know, Simon and I talk a lot about that planning oh. side of things, whether it's at a, you know, between partnerships, between, between organisations, we're having to build a, we're having to build a, uh, some sort of plan to, to run this podcast, right? And, and the sort of the businesses we're trying to, trying to launch exactly. out of this. And, um, but even down to, you know, I've talked for a long time around even inside a deal. Um, you know, how do you, how do you build a plan on, on a deal? And, I, and I've got a, a sort of a phraseology I've used with teams for a long time now, which, you know, if you want everyone on the same page, the better damn well be a page. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a simple concept, right? <laughs> but it's amazing how many people don't Think about it and, you know, they'll, they'll, I want to talk you through my plan. That's not a plan. That's just some ideas you've got. Like build a plan with people that they can collaborate on with you. Um, something that's interesting. So look, we might, we might pivot along and, and I know you've, you've moved your career into this space of, uh, of VR, which is, you know, cutting edge technology. I mean, you know, there's, you know, Meta's probably leading the, the world in that charge at the moment, but there's, like all these types of technologies, and they're, they're often a bit of a laggard in actually what's really happening in this space versus being the cutting edge. Um, you know, what are you, where, where do you kind of see the VR space? And also, how, like, how did you get into this? Yeah, uh, I, I think um, it, it's, I, I always knew after, a, like, I was, I was just a bit over nine years at, at, at Salesforce, and I knew I needed to, to get my, my hands on some, um, on some, some real sort of grassroots sort of business development stuff where, where you're not sort of supported by as many sort of processes and, and, and systems. Yeah. I, d- I just knew my, my, my fingertips were, were a little bit soft, so to speak. So um, I, I, I purposely decided um, to, to go into to startup world, and um, I ended up working with this really innovative VR company, um, and that sort of just opened my, my eyes, and I... I put like it's, it's, it's like a, a values thing. Like personally, um, like I'm a, I'm a big, big advocate of, of, of learning. You know, I, I don't um, you know get, get a bit personal here, but the reason why I, I got into VR specifically is around uh, learning. You know, like I left school quite early. I know for a lot of people, like learning is, is very difficult, and I saw this as a channel to sort of help people um, really. Like, it comes back to that, like, realizing your, your potential, right? Like, through experience. Cause I can, I can tell, like, I can tell you all about, like, a certain topic, but like, you don't really understand it until you've experienced it. It's like, it's like sales. Like, I can tell you how to sell, but unless you go out there and cut your teeth and, and sort of do the, the bumpy stuff, you're not, you're not going to figure it out until, until you, um, in, until you actually do it. So that, 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 that's sort of why it was about, that, that's sort of why it was. That, that's why I sort of followed that that path. And then, like at, at that point, I I just um, you know I, I knew like I wanted to start a business. It was just it's just part of who I am. I'm just that type of person, and I just yeah. have to like do it do it at some point. And and um and then luckily I, I met um a, a couple of CEOs that were just uh, once again just like became good mates and that they, they sort of been guiding me through through the process and just helping me um, helping me figure it out step by step week by week and it's uh, yeah it's been yeah yeah so now I'm doing what I, what I, what I enjoy yeah I mean I think awesome. so learning in sales is really difficult I was talking to um, to a, a colleague only yesterday 
that unlike most other careers that you can follow, there's no formal certification that you can go and do. There's no degree um, that will make you an enterprise salesperson or a, a top level VP. Like the, it is, it is experiential. Um, you know, you can go and do someone's course on better technology or someone's course on how you deal with the handling, but one and one, they're not the same. And, and there's nothing that replaces the experience of it. And, you know, you mentioned before, you see people who have strong experiences in sales. Like they either join a great team, they learn from some great people, um, you know, they learn how to learn um, along that sales journey as well. I think that's a really critical piece as well. Um, you know, Simon, I mean, you've been in so many different teams um, with different leaders and different processes. You know, what have been the, the, the key methods in which you've kind of learned um, over time, before we get into the, te- the to technology that, that Chris has yeah. taken us down, like what are the really important processes for salespeople learning that, that you've experienced? I, I, I double down on uh, Chris's comment about um, experience and ex- experiencing how other people operate, how, how other people sell. Um, I've said it before, you know, some of the best leaders I've ever worked for and some of the worst leaders I've ever worked for have shaped who I am right now. And that's... Um, you know, my, back in my SAP days, watching um, other people grow and enterprise salespeople do their thing, you see what works and what doesn't work. And I think, you know, I've, I've got some horror stories that I probably won't share on this podcast of watching salespeople do the unthinkable. Um, but I've also seen... You should have on that. You <laughs> probably should, yeah. Well, I'll put, that, put one of those down to um, make sure you've hung up uh, on the phone from your prospect before you start... Uh, rambling on about how terrible they are at buying your software. Um, yeah, that one too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some silly things like that. And, you know, you actually learn. I think one of my biggest learnings out of that is um, you're never going to sell anything if you don't respect the person you're trying to sell to. Um, yeah. So each each little thing that you see along the way teaches you something. And, it, you know, I'm intrigued. Um, you know, I think traditionally, you know, I, I started work in the 90s and went through a whole process of, you know, sitting in rooms, you know, with 20 other people listening to somebody prattle on about sales techniques and there's a power. When I started, it was an overhead projector, believe it or not. Um, but then we got into, uh, you know, PowerPoint and I just had to sit there and watch PowerPoints with 300 words on them for, you know, four or five hours a day. Um, you don't retain much, all right? And, um, and it's morphed a little bit. I think there's a lot more emphasis on mentoring and um, learning by doing these days, which I think, you know, that's absolutely how I learn. Um, you know, I can't sit down for four hours, someone prattling on telling me about the best way to sell. I, I need to, you know, have the nuggets and the, the tidbits, but I, I've got to go out there and do it. Um, and, and you know, when you start doing it, I think you, you probably felt this a bit too, Chris, you, you do feel like an imposter. Um, you see everybody else around you that, pretends how good a salesperson they are and you kind of go home at night going, oh, can I really do that? Uh, look, you know, Dan Bartels, he's got the gift of the gab. You know, how am I going to uh, sell yeah, that guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, Chris, you send out amazing um, emails and messages when you're a um, uh, BDR or BDR. Um, you know, you, you obviously didn't, uh, you know, come out of uh, Christchurch knowing how to do that. Um, you, you wanted into Salesforce and you saw other people doing it and you said, I'm not going to repeat that one, but that's a really good idea. And then you build a, um, you know, a, um, a whole bunch of tools in your own mental kit bag to actually get better at it. But the core of it, you've got to trust and respect the person you're selling to. And as you said, Chris, it's a person. Um, so there's a lot of psychology involved. So I, I guess as you, Understand sales is a lot about psychology and, and getting into the empathy for the person you're selling to. Um, you can't just do that sitting in front of the PowerPoint. And I guess that's a, it's an interesting segue, uh, for you, Chris, because you're obviously taking that, um, experience learning to the next level, right? It's, um, you know, if I, if I physically can't be out selling every day of the week, how do I emulate that process? How do I teach the brain what works and what doesn't work. And, and obviously, clever use of technology is, is taking us a step forwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I've got to just say, because um, because any of my mates listening to this will will, um, will, will, will 
commented it, but I only lived in Christchurch for a short, short period of time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a what you call a Jeffer, uh, um, or, or, or a Blues fan, uh, and a, and a proud one at that. So I just, I just need okay. to you realign that. Mate. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, we don't want you having a buy around a business bar, mate, just because you, we, we said you were from Christchurch, my friend. I'm trying to run a business. I can't afford to buy that. No, no, exactly. Is it? That's like saying, uh, hey, Dan, you're from, uh, you're from Adelaide, aren't you, mate? <laughs> oh, it's not. It's, even worse, mate. it's like it's like saying I, I I support the I support the uh, the Maroons, mate. During uh, <laughs> nah, all good. So, I, so I just uh, I just got a sense that all our Queensland viewers has turned off. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Hey, look, they're 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 enjoying their success rates at the moment. It's it's been a long time since I've enjoyed watching the State of Origin. <laughs> Anyway, and look, underneath all that, I'm a West Tigers fan, so, mate, we're, what are we, second from the bottom of the, of the ladder? So, anyway. So, look, Chris, um, you know, pivoting into kind of what you're doing from a, from a technology perspective, right? So, learning is, learning is hard. And I know, you know, when we, when we worked together, we spent so much time as a team talking to each other and trying to recreate the scenarios or the stories around what went well, what didn't go so well, or how do I rethink about, you know, an objection or a conversation or a meeting that I had. And, and there was always an aspect of that missing. Um, you know, we've all sat in long enablement sessions where somebody's trying to translate into 42 PowerPoint slides and by slide four, you've turned off. Yeah. Um, or you look up and, you know, someone's on their mobile phone already, you know, scrolling through TikTok or back in the day it was through Facebook or whatever, right? But, you know, so how, how is the, the VR space kind of reimagining that and sort of what are you guys addressing in, in, in that kind of experience? Yeah, cool. So, um, I, I think, um, if, if the, the, the way we, we see it is <clears throat> that the, like the VR is a, is a new medium. Like it's it's like like think of it back in the days when when we were selling Radian Six, right? Social analytics. Um, there are a lot of people that got it. There are a lot of there are more people that didn't realize like what a necessity it would become or how big social yeah. would get. And there are a lot of people that didn't believe it or just like like I I, I can't perceive it. So it's you know it's, it's, all, it's all sort of dust in the wind. It's just just a noise for them, yeah. Yeah, which is which is fair because there's a lot of there's a lot of noise. So I'm not I'm not um, dismissing any anyone's sort of um, opinions, but um, they, they, like we could see that there was something significant growing there, right? And um, it's it's definitely the, the same way I feel about VR. And a customer gave us um, gave me a uh, an analogy the other day. I liked it so much. I put it on the website. And it, 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 it's, it's, if you think of VR, and when I say VR, I should really say immersive learning, AR, VR, XR, like it's, it's all sort of going to amalgamate into the, the same thing. Um, if you think about immersive learning, I'm just going to call it VR because it's easier. Two, two words. Um, if you think about VR as it is today, it's similar to motion picture was in the 1800s. Um, back then, all, everyone, everyone's mates, um, you sort of go with your friends, your missus, whatever, to, uh, to the picture theatres to see someone, to see a, a film that someone had shot of a train leaving the station. There was nothing to it apart from a big old locomotive sort of leaving the station and it was the, the, the novelty of the picture moving that blew people's minds. And mm. it wasn't for, for years after until um, the producers of, of this type of content started to develop plot structure, like narrative, character development, and 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 all the stuff we 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 sort of see today when we're you know yeah. when we're watching um, when we're watching TV on on Netflix or, or, or whatever, right? Like it's come a long way, and the the way the way that um, we feel that that VR is perceived. Um, today is very much through the lens of e-learning. Um, you know, e-learning is, is awesome and there's some awesome content out there, but we, we haven't really, we, we don't, we haven't really harnessed the way this medium, we haven't really harnessed this medium for its full potential and it'll be a long time before we really do. So, so we're all about helping our uh, customers 
identify meaningful ways of like utilizing this 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 medium and, and, and with all the cool stuff you can do. So yeah. Yeah, I mean just just talking so how about does, um, um, how does how does sorry go on Simon. Yeah I was gonna say how does um look I get I get the idea of continual learning and you know obviously content is very specific to the organizations you're talking to but I, I'm I'm thinking to myself people listening to this you put on you know you put on a pair of goggles how does that actually inherently improve the learning experience uh, other than the novelty of putting on uh, some goggles? Because I think, you know, you're talking to businesses all the time, right? And we all love gadgets. So, you know, I've got a, I've got a meta uh, goggle set that I've had for a couple of years and, you know, I enjoy that. But I can't, in my own mind, I'm still at watching the train leave the station. I, I remember my first experience was sitting on a roller coaster with these goggles on. Uh, that was that was I guess that was my um, train leaving the station moment with with VR. But um, you know you're, you're talking to organisations that you know typically they need to make a profit and they need to enable the teams. If they do it poorly, uh, they go out of business. So how do you take the novelty of a, a goggle, mix it with education, and, and provide value? What's what's different about it? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question because um, it, it's a lot of, like a, a lot of the reasons why VR is valuable for learning isn't exactly the same as why people buy. And I think this is the same for, for a lot of things, but it, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, um, it's, um, it's, it's like VR is like, I mean, there's a bunch of studies out here and it, it's still, it's all very debatable. Like I know PwC did a study back in 2020 that said people are, 3.75% more um, or times more um, emotionally connected to the content. They learn four times faster, you know, the classroom-based stuff, they're more focused, which which I, I, I get. It's, it's really hard to, to quantify. Um, and it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of come up for a debate a few times whether like, like is, is this actually valuable? Um, I say to anyone sort of questioning that, go put on a, a headset and, um, Use, use an application with like well-developed content that actually, you know, not, not just with the novelty of VR, but with well-developed content with a storyline and a narrative and, and, um, and, um, and, and, and like judge, judge, um, judge on, on that. Um, as for like how organizations purchase this sort of stuff, like the, the, the hardware, um, itself today, like, it, it's not really affordable at, at, at scale for, for an organization to, to adopt. Mm-hmm. So like a, a company like DealPlay isn't going to go into an organization and sell, you know, a hundred headsets with like this application development to, to, to solve a certain problem or, or to, to address a, a specific learning need. Um, the reason why they're buying it today is more if you, if you put it down to value drivers, it's more competitive advantage, like to be seen as, as doing something okay. different and, and reputation. That's, that's why people buy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when it gets to a stage where the, the masses start to adopt it and you've got to take into consideration that, um, anyone, um, um, who is in school, uh, these days, are going to be exposed to, to VR. Like the education sector is one of the largest adopters of, of VR. Like yeah. if you're going to school these days, you'll, you'll, you'll have a headset on mm-hmm. uh, at, at some point. At some point. Um, the, the number of VR headsets that are deployed into the market in 2025 will outnumber the amount of Xbox consoles deployed into the market. Wow. And then you've just seen Apple release Apple Vision Pro. And despite like, I mean, there's always going to be controversy about whether an Apple product will, will be successful or not. But the truth of the matter is, as, as Apple, they, they really, they do really sort of mess it up. So um, whether it's this iteration or, or they've got the distribution at least, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so it's a mass market. The the the, the undercurrent is, is coming, right? Like it, it's going to happen. Um, it's just sort of understanding it and, and being prepared for it. And if you, if you're going to do, if you're going to engage in what we call, uh, PR VR, 
which is essentially just creating something for, for innovation to take to expos or or to show your clients or um, even to, to sort of assess mm-hmm. for, for future investment. Um, yeah, you know, just just understand that it's very very uh, feasible to, to to do these days, and um, yeah, and you can do some some cool stuff. Yeah, because I think Chris, the so if we um think about lo- oh sorry, Simon, one sec. The the logic behind you know immersive technology makes a lot of sense. You know, we've all experienced, um, all those of us have got kids, experienced kind of lockdown education over the last couple of years where your kids weren't immersed in education and they had so many distractions around them and the logic of them being back in a classroom. Um, you know, like my wife's a kindergarten teacher. So those kids get immersed in learning for, for six hours a day when you take out lunch and bits and pieces, right? But, and, you know, their classrooms are created in this immersive experience of how do you learn to read and how do you learn to write and how do you learn, you know, basic numbers and all these types of things. And so so they spend so much time creating this environment that is an immersing, immersed learning experience. Yet for us as adults, um, you know, when you're learning, it's in between two meetings that you're super stressed about in a blank room that you couldn't, you don't want to be in that's cold or too hot or too noisy or your chair squeaks or like all these things just take away from your learning experience. Um, and then we wonder why, because I've got my laptop up and I'm actually doing work while I'm trying to learn on the PowerPoint deck that you didn't build well because you're not a teacher and you haven't put a structure behind it. We're surprised at the end of all of that. People took in like 1% of, of what you were trying to educate them on. Um, so, I mean, like Simon, I mean, you know, you had a question there, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's an interesting one. I, I, what I'm doing is I'm actually trying to think of, you know, where it's going, Chris's vision. Um, and I'm imagining myself as a uh, brand new BDR. My job is to you know, contact prospects and get meetings for my sales guys. And I'm about to start my first job in, I don't know, 2026. Um, so I'm giving us a couple of years and the first thing I do when I you know, join a new big company, we've all been there, your first day there's a laptop. Um, back in the early 2000s, you, you turn up for your first day, there's a laptop, there's an iPad, a phone and probably a water bottle branded. Um, I'm imagining, you know, I turn up on my first day in 2026 and, you know, I've got my laptop and they don't give me an iPad anymore, but there's a, a Vision Pro set of goggles sitting uh, in in a nice box next to my laptop and that's that's how I'm going to learn and and I'm thinking to myself okay so how am I going to learn so I put these goggles on and I, I imagine as a new BDR um, I'm now immersed in, in a sales planning meeting where I'm looking at the all the managers around me chatting about what I need to do and how I need to do it I'm imagining hopefully it's two way by that stage um, I'm imagining also that um, you know, the, the cold calls that I typically have to role play in, in a boring room uh, that's too cold, as Dad mentioned, are out the window, right? I'm, I'm suddenly immersed in a real live cold call role play. So I'm, I'm actually talking, potentially the AI is talking back to me, and I'm getting really good at um, having conversations with people I've never met before. And because the AI is recording my conversation it's also understanding what I get right what I don't get right uh, and at the end of it I, I, I can see a, a scoreboard that says you nailed these parts of our value proposition you started a bit here you need to focus a little bit on that so you know and I, I think to that point of view that's not passive learning and from, from my perspective when you're having a two-way conversation whether it be a real person or an AI as you're learning it's going to stick in here you're going to uh, come up to speed way faster. So that's kind of my vision for the ultimate sales enablement type of process. And I mentioned, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, when I, I remember my first day as a, a sales leader, um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I obviously pretended to the uh, the managers that had promoted me into that role that I knew exactly what I was doing, but I didn't have a clue. You know, I remember my first forecast meeting where I had 20 people in a room and I was leading a forecast meeting for the first time. Um, it was, I, I didn't want to show it, but it was scary. Um, you know, and I, I emulated previous managers in terms of asking the same questions, but 
I mentioned <coughs> if I'd had the ability to role play that whole exercise, I would have got uh, much better, much faster. I don't know, Chris, you're nodding along there. Am I uh, am I on the wrong right track here? Is this where it's going? No, yeah, like I, it's so it's so interesting. Like it, like a lot of what we do, and you, you've got to you've got to show like a like a like a, a, a sort of tough, calm face and, and, um, and continue on and, and, and maintain your composure. And it's so important, but like, it's, it's like everyone does it. Everyone like jumps into, uh, like jumps directly into the fire. And that's the best way to, that's the best way to learn. I, I saw a big advocate of, of that. Yep. Um, and, um, yeah. you, 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 like, I, I remember back in Radiant Six days, Doing like some, some role playing with, with Dan Bartels. And if you, if you ever in a role play situation with the silverback, you better come prepared because you, you know, <laughs> like he, he's not, he's not going to mess around. But that, those, those types of, those types of engagements are, um, that those types of engagements are, are just, are just so, just, just so, so valuable. The ones that like get you out of your seat and, 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 and like, like, you know, like your your experience running a forecasting call, like my experience first day at Salesforce, like you, that level of uncomfort like puts you in a position where you're you're, you're alert and your receptors are open and you're you're learning your neural pathways are going all like this and yeah and, and you, you you absorb a lot more. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting experience of um as you as you move through your career in these types of um roles, you move from being you know in inside sales to Outside sales, you move from sales into leadership, you know, from first line to second line. There's always these points of, you know, the first time where you operate without a net and there's, you know, there's no one there to, to hold your hand or make sure you get this bit right. And all of a sudden it's your meeting versus you watching somebody else in the meeting or all of a sudden it's your forecast call. And if you don't ask the right questions of your team, you're now accountable to the forecast call that you give upstream. And do you not know the answers mm-hmm. to these questions? Are you not across these deals? And your honest answer is, of course I'm not. <laughs> They're not my deal. <laughs> right? But, you, but you're the leader and, um, or you're the AE on this deal and the customer has just said, Hey, but listen, I, I spoke to Chris, my BDR and, or on, on this deal and, and, and on this engagement, I gave them a whole bunch of discovery. Do you not have that? And I know for us working for a CRM, CRM company back in the day, it was one of the, uh, the worst, worst, um, faux pas you could make was, hold on, don't you guys have a CRM? Didn't you write this in the notes? And as you're looking at the CRM screen and there's no notes. <laughs> and, but that stuff happens. And so you learn from experience then to be able to ask the people around you to say, hey, listen, when you spend the extra 30 seconds writing those notes, they become critical for these reasons. Mm. Then you go to the next level of what I want in those notes are these things because the conversation I need to have with somebody more often than not ends up looking like this. Um, and then as we build knowledge around one person lost, one person won because they had this information. Therefore, let's make that to make sure that's in all of our engagements. Um, these are the types of questions or how's the best way to phrase those questions. Here are 1,770 examples of the same question phrased in a different way. Five of them work and the other 165 are examples of how to get to the five that work. And like all those things about how do you stand on the, on the shoulders of giants, right? And, and those around you to, to be more successful. And I think that's the, uh, that's the really interesting thing for, for me in this technology that you're sort of spending time in. And even when you then think about everybody's relying, some, dabbling, I wouldn't say they're relying yet, on things like conversational AI. So that's chat, GPT, other bits and pieces, right? And it doesn't have this stuff nailed at all. It's a long way from it. Yet I can quickly see a lot of people becoming uh, carbon copies of each other because they're relying on chat GPT to write their introduction email. Well, if I'm getting 12 introduction emails an hour that'll look like they're written by the same person because they were, because they're written by chat GPT, you're not standing out. I'm not watching it. It's only going to be moments until the AI that's receiving and reading the email goes, that's AI. <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> Right? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's going to go straight into the junk mailbox, right? 
Um, I mean, there's, there's meant to be AI now that takes what AI wrote and makes it not sound like AI, but it's AI. <laughs> no, no flavour. There's no, you know, there's no one knowing how to drop a joke in about, you, you know, Queensland and New South Wales state of origin in the right context because they've read the fact that that person went to this particular school and you know that's a rugby league school, therefore they're likely going to care. Or yeah. you bothered to look at their long-term LinkedIn post and you saw that last year they went to the state of origin. Hey, they're likely going to care. This is a good joke given we're midway through a series, right? So, like, all those things come out and that's AI is never going to get to that level of humanity. It can't because it doesn't have our experience. Dan, I, I never say never, Dan. Well... I, I, I disagree. Hey, hey, chat GBT, look up this guy's LinkedIn profile. Tell me what he's been doing over the last year and include a joke about something or other he went and did that was sport related. Bingo. Yeah, but I can't, I can't see it having the experiential part of it. I can't see it knowing how to, how to drop in, drop in. Well, but if it does, if that's where we get to, then we're all doing different things because AI is just going to talk to AI, right? I mean, that, that's kind of where it's at. But, but you know, I, I just I, I don't see it getting to that level, at least not in probably our, our working lifetimes. I mean, Chris, you're the expert here, mate. You you tell you tell me where do you think this is going? I think I think it's like <laughs> I, I think it's um, I think it's gonna it's, it's gonna reshape our lives in, in ways like like we we can't, we just can't comprehend right now, right? Like. We, we we don't know, um, but like I, I think it will it will it's going to shift the, the it's going to change the playing field a little bit in terms of like email outreach yeah definitely, um, mm. but if I, if I receive an email from someone like I can tell right away if it's a mass email or if it's a um, or if it's yeah. like personalized to me okay. and and I can I can tell right away if um, this person is like like a, a genuine person, are you contacting me because you want to talk to me or do you want to find someone in my profile? And um, the, the thing that AI, I think, won't, won't be able to cover is the, um, the the fact that I understand that this person has something in common with me and that's why I want... It comes back to just being like a normal, uh, regular human. It's like, it's like, I know this person has something... I have something in common with this person and that's the, the human connection piece, right? Yep. So Chris, pivoting so, back to um, uh, the the you know the, the the education, learning through the goggles, etc. Um, you know, obviously, we just talk human interaction is fundamental. Uh, um, if I'm training everybody in a bubble with with goggles on, am I enabling them in how to talk person to person? I think. Um Sorry, I got the sniffles. Um, sorry if that shows up on the, the podcast. Um, we've, we've got, um, we've got. So, so it, it's a really important question, and I, I don't, I don't have the like. I think, like, immersive experiences does have the the potential to to sort of push us away more. But um, I also think that humans tend to think worst case scenario, and if if you look at it. Um, I think I think if you if you if you look at what like what sort of immersive environments are we involved in today? Like I know on my phone I can easily get stuck in sort of LinkedIn just sort of doom scrolling for, for thirty minutes and, and, and not realise it, right? Like it's happened to everyone. This is this is immersive behaviour right here. Like the, the way the way I see it is that yep. with VR and also with, with mobile, you know, like we can adjust how this like this immersive engagement operates, so I'm learning something and I'm bettering myself, and I'm and I, and I, and I start to sort of care more about like you know spending time with the, the right people in, in my life, um, as as opposed to just like the sole objective of getting impressions for for some sort of social media company. So I, I see it as, as something to explore. We we definitely need to understand it more because. This is, this is part of, this is, we're already immersed. We're already part of the matrix. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think we just yep. need to be more conscious of it and more um, intentional about how we, 
how we look at content and how we interact with content and how content is, is designed and delivered. Yeah, I think that content delivery piece and, and design is is, uh, is a really interesting question. I think you mentioned this a bit earlier and we we're talking about this just pre-pressing the record button, right? So, um, you know, a, a mate of mine has got a, a cool podcast. We we're talking about cool podcasts before he joined on. It's actually about the um, he was he was one of the uh, the lead investigators from the Australian Navy on the um, MH370 disappearance. And you know, back in the day, he would have had to go out and convince a television production company to do a big recording and uh, you know run that whole process of it being a TV show. Instead, he spun up a podcast, Z episodes, you got Yana Ben involved. It's cool. Have a listen. It's pretty cool. But like even now, us having this show today, the technology has lowered the barrier of entry. And it's meant that people can have a, a really different way of delivering content. So I can easily immerse my team in VR without having to spend millions of dollars on technology to make it work, I can use technology that everybody is democratizing across a whole bunch of different spaces to try and work out how I, how I make this work. I mean, you know, content creators now make significant amounts of money depending upon whether you keep your clothes on or off. Um, the reality of, it's a reality of what, of what the market is. That's always been there. It's not going to disappear anytime soon. I'm, you know, I'm not talking out of school and being rude here, but that's just the reality of it. Um, but even but even those who are just creating business content make a fortune mm. in terms of creating good content, um, and it's not now beholden to mass networks to own. I mean, there's still space for the mass networks. I mean, we we're just mentioning you were talking about um, you know Marvel and things before. I mean, you know Marvel as a comic book company got up for four billion dollars to Disney, but got content creators who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars operating out of their bedroom. I mean, it's 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 this flattening of, of of how we create and, and and sort of take in this content, right? So yeah. Interesting. I think I think, I think a lot of it is um like it's sort of like it's creating like it's, it's like it's like a, a marketplace and mm. it's like it's like adding competition to create innovation, right? And if you yeah. look at like some of the content creators today, like what I like about um, some of the stuff is like some of these topics like mental health or like fitness, like these guys, like these, these guys and girls are, are, are creating content that's like really thoughtful because that's what you need to do to, to, to establish a, like a, a channel. Like there's some easy routes, but like a, there is a, a sub section of the, the, the marketplace that are just creating really thoughtful, innovative and, and really cool, cool stuff, um, which yeah. makes sort of doom scrolling not, not too bad. But. <laughs> so, Chris, we're getting kind of to the to the top of the hour, mate. And you know, one of the things we t- we we kind of like to 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 wrap up the the podcast with is you know kind of a look back at the the lessons that we've seen you know great salespeople have in their careers, um, and you know things they wouldn't do again, or things they would definitely ensure that they you know do more of. You know, as, as you kind of look back through, you know, your your experiences, um, you know, your career, like w- what are the what are the couple of things that you suppose do do more of, and a couple of things you do less of? I think um, I, I definitely would have started a business uh, earlier, and um, like if, if you know, if there's yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do, but definitely more of jumping directly into the fire, like. People, people sort of discount their own, um, their own value and their own competency. But if you, if you, if you put yourself in a, a tough situation, like a really tough situation, like you, well, likelihood is you figure it out somehow and you'll, it'll make you a better person. So, so, so jump into the fire is, is a big one. And then, um, as well as, uh, I think, um, I think like one thing for, for me is, is just those, those sort of per, personal connections. So, um, if, if I'm feeling tired or if I'm struggling, like spending time with my kids or spending time with my partner or um, spending time with like my brothers or family or whatever, or just having like conversations sort of sort of what, is what brings me to brings me to life, and uh, I'll, I'll definitely do more of that. Yeah. yeah fair. What's what's something you'd do less of? Uh, probably I wouldn't need as much KFC. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I take that one back. I take that one back. No, I, I, I'd, um, I, I'd probably, I'd probably spend, uh, I'd, prob- I'd probably spend less time. I'd probably spend less time just. Uh, I don't know. I'm struggling. I'd, I'd probably spend less time trying to do stuff for other people, like for like, yeah. or just trying to impress other people. I think that's a, that's a, that's a that, that's, that's probably yeah. That sounds self confidence, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, Chris, mate, that's been uh, it's been amazing to talk to you. You know, you guys are doing some phenomenal stuff in in the VR space and technology space. You know, learning continues to be a it's a huge part of what we're doing here. I mean, you know, Simon and I had a a, a bit of a a fire to share sort of our lessons and the lessons of all those around us. Um, to make sure that that you know we can impart a bit of sort of our experience and knowledge, um, you know I, I know back to when to when we worked together at uh, at Salesforce and Radiant Six, a, a huge part of what we do and spend time doing as a team, with as individuals or as a group, just mm-hmm. talking through deals and you know drawing stuff on a whiteboard. And people have given me stick for being the dude on a whiteboard for years, right? But it's been so valuable, and and I've always gravitated to finding people in the team that you can just have those constant conversations with and, and be self-analytical and share your knowledge. Uh, and it's amazing to see that you're doing some some great stuff in that space as well um, and, and can really continuing on that journey. So, mate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, for all of our all of our listeners, et cetera, um, look, please, wherever you have found this podcast, whether it's YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, any of the podcast um, locations, please do like, follow, share, all those different fancy things you need to do to make sure you help produce, help push our content out there. If you have any questions, please do chuck them in the comments. Uh, we will do our best to get back to you. Um, and if you have an idea for a great podcast, you'd love to be on the podcast and tell your story, please do reach out. You know, We'd love to have you on. So thank you, Chris, so much. Simon, thank, thank you for your time as always. And, Absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks, guys. Really uh, enjoyed this. No Very, uh, it's awesome what you guys are doing as well. I'll catch you later. Thanks, Chris. See you later.